Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back, Shalligators. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different for the first half of this podcast. We're going to kick off a new Shell Literature book club selection. Now, we did Shell Literature, which is what we call our book club, because you know I love a pun and branding my name. Hey, why, why would I not? Back in December when we all read Three Women by Lisa Tadeo, and we didn't really get to discuss it as much as we wanted to. The holidays got here, and I just, I dropped the ball. I'm a bad person. I'm so sorry. But this book that we're going to read next, I've already read. I have read it so many times, I refer to it as the Bible. Why Men Love Bitches. This book has truly changed my outlook on dating and even friendship and just how I move through the world. And when you hear the title, you're like, why men love bitches? I don't want to be a bitch and I don't want people to call me a bitch. All right. You just give me a few minutes here and we're going to read the introduction together because the author, Sherry Argoff, she really gives a good explanation about why she uses this term and what it actually means. And it doesn't mean what society tells us it means. It means something good. It means something strong and something healthy. So in the next few weeks, I want you guys to download or pick up this book. I mean, you can get it used probably for like two bucks or something. It's been out forever. And I want you to read it. And truly, if you only read the introduction or if you only replay this podcast and listen to the introduction, it is still going to change your life life. Because we've all been in this situation where we just feel so depleted by dating, by guys, and at the end of the day, by our own behavior, if we're being honest, which sucks, because it's so much better and easier on our hearts and our psyche to be like, it's a guy's fault, it's this person's fault. Well, girl, who's the common denominator? Is it you? Is it me? Probably. It's our own behavior. And true, we can't control what other people do. We can't control if a fuckboy is ever going to grow up, if someone's going to stop cheating on us, if a friend is going to plug in and be who we need. But we can control how much we are hemorrhaging in their direction. And sometimes it is a hemorrhage. It is something that is draining us and killing us and we aren't even realizing it. So we're going to get into some normal uh, shalligator questions later. But first, I want to read you the introduction to Why Men Love Bitches. So this is a little bit of an audiobook portion. Because like I said, just this intro is going to have you going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I've been doing so many things wrong. Okay, you know what? Me too. And that's okay. That's okay. Because all of that stops right now. That faucet is hereby turned off. So let's read. Let's see what Sherry has to say. Why Men Love Bitches is a relationship guide for women who are too nice. The word bitch in the title does not take itself too seriously. I'm using the word in a tongue-in-cheek way representative of the humorous tone of this book. The title and the content address what many women think but don't say. Every woman has felt embarrassed by appearing too needy with a man. Every woman has had a man pursue her only to lose interest the minute she gave in. Every woman knows what it feels like to be taken for granted. All of these problems are common to most women, married and single alike. So why do men love bitches? An important distinction should be made between the pejorative way the word is usually used and the way it's used here. 
Certainly, I'm not recommending that a woman have an abrasive disposition. The bitch I'm talking about is not the bitch on wheels or the mean-spirited character that Joan Collins played in Dynasty. If we want an updated example of that, let's say Regina George, right? Nor is it the classic office bitch who's hated by everyone at work. The woman I'm describing is kind yet strong. She has strength that is ever so subtle. She doesn't give up her life, and she won't chase a man. She won't let a man think he has a 100% hold on her. And she'll stand up for herself when he steps over the line. She knows what she wants, but won't compromise herself to get it. She's feminine, like a steel magnolia. Flowery on the outside, steel on the inside. She uses this very femininity to her own advantage. It isn't that she takes undue advantage of men, because she plays fair. She has one thing the nice girl doesn't. A presence of mind, because she isn't swept away by a romantic fantasy. This presence of mind enables her to wield her power when it is necessary. In addition, she has the ability to remain cool under pressure, whereas a woman who's too nice gives and gives until she's depleted. Sound familiar? And the woman with presence of mind knows when to pull back. Among the hundreds of interviews I conducted with men for the book, over 90% laughed and agreed with the title within the first 30 seconds. Some men chuckled as though their best-kept secret had just been revealed. Men need a mental challenge, they said. Time and time again, this was the recurrent theme. The men I interviewed all phrased it slightly differently, but the message didn't change. Men like it when a woman has a bit of an edge to her, they said. Two things became clear across the board. First, they would regularly use the phrase mental challenge to describe a woman who didn't appear needy. And second, the word bitch was synonymous with their concept of mental challenge. And this characteristic, above all, they found attractive. When I used the phrase mental challenge with men, it was immediately clear to them the quality I meant. But on the other hand, when I interviewed hundreds of women, rarely did they understand the same phrase. They often related the phrase to intelligence rather than to neediness. It wasn't just my hunch that confirmed these interviews. They also strengthened my sense of purpose. I thought that anything this obvious to men should not be kept a secret from women. So this book addresses the very issues that men won't. He won't say, look, don't be a doormat. Don't always say yes. Don't revolve your whole world around me. This book is necessary because these are the things a man will not spell out for his partner. In the chapters that follow, you'll find one message coming through loud and clear. Success in love isn't about looks. It's about attitude. The media would have us believe differently, right? A teenage girl picks up a magazine and reads, Get that boy's attention with an item of clothing or a certain look. This nail color lipstick will wow him, the magazine assures her. And what does the girl learn? How to obsess over someone else's approval. And then there's the issue of how media treats aging. The teenage woman evolves into a 20-something woman with confidence, and the media bombards her with negative images of aging. The message here is, Two wrinkles and a stretch mark, and she is marked down like last season's merchandise that sold at half price. And what does she learn? How to obsess over someone else's disapproval. So what's the message of this book? It's that a bit of a reverence is necessary to have any self-esteem at all. Not a reverence for people, but rather for what other people think. The bitch is an empowered woman who drives tremendous strength from the ability to be an independent thinker particularly in a world that still teaches women how to be self-abnegating. This woman doesn't live in someone else's standards, only her own. 
This is the woman who plays by her own rules, who has a feeling of confidence, freedom, and empowerment. It's this feeling that I hope women will glean from reading this book. The woman who has a positive experience with men possesses an ever-so-subtle qualities that I discuss in this book. A sense of humor, an aura that conveys, I'm driving the train here. I'll tell you where we get on and where we get off. This woman has the presence of mind to do what's in her best interest and an attitude that says she doesn't need to be there. She is there by choice. The bitchy women who are so loved by men give off a devil-may-care quality and, yes, have that edge. This is that same edge, coincidentally, that men say they find so magnetic. The difference is that this woman isn't looking for it outside herself. It is a special quality she carries within. Wow. Don't you guys kind of get tingles just listening to that? I mean, I get tingles because I'm like, yes, we have the power. And then I get douche chills because I'm horrified thinking about my behavior retroactively or perhaps earlier this morning or perhaps what I'm going to do later this afternoon. But again, that faucet is shut off. It's shut off. We're not acting like that anymore. And by that, we're not acting like, I need him. I need to be here. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep him. Fear, fear, fear. Fuck that. Fuck that shit. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Sherry goes on to detail all of this in her book in a lot more eloquent way than fuck this absolutely not, like I am. But that's the feeling it should give you. It should give you a little bit of shame, just a little, enough to propel you into a higher level. And it should give you just a little bit of rage, not just at people, but at yourself. Be like, you know what? I am better than how I've been behaving. And I know it. If you're on this podcast and if you're a fan of mine, you know it. You know deep down, you know like you know like you know, girl, that you are a queen. You're that warm-blooded animal. And what you're trying to do here is unlock that. How do I do it? What do I do? And that's what I've been trying, you know, to do with my career is give you guys like those actionable points. Here's how we can cultivate self-esteem. Here's how we can get rid of a fuckboy. Here's how we can untangle ourselves from a narcissist. And this book is going to be super, super helpful. So I really want you guys to pick it up. I mean, this isn't like a partnership with her. I don't know her. Um, whatever. But it has changed my life and I want it to change yours because I've always said my, my ultimate goal with my career is like in 10 years or a generation to be completely obsolete because you guys know everything and no one needs me anymore. That would be fabulous. So maybe this is the first step to my obsolescence. Download um, Why Men Love Bitches and we're going to get started. If you guys want to head over to the Reddit page, the Shalligator Reddit page, it's managed by Ashley and Nicole who are awesome. They run two fan accounts and it's a really positive place to connect. It's not, you know, it's it's not negative. It's not gossipy or bitchy. It's just, it's a great place where we can do literature, shalantaraji things. So let's get into some questions from you guys. This question comes from Catherine and she said, I started a relationship with a coworker. Ugh, dumb, I know. And it lasted a little bit more than a month and he decided he wasn't ready for a relationship since he's still allegedly getting over his marriage. He's insisting though that we stay friends and that, oh, you can't get rid of me that easily, Catherine. I'm struggling with this idea of being his friend like it feels insulting considering everything. I do talk to him and I like talking to him and doing things together and he still texts me every single day. I push him away and he keeps coming back saying he's always going to be my friend. My question is, should I be his friend? I just don't know what to do. Hmm. Okay, so I want you to think of your three best friends. 
Mine are Becca, Diane, and Greer, three best friends. Now think of how many times you have had sex with your three best friends. For me, it's zero. Oh, wait, is your answer zero too? Have you never had sex with McKenny, Hannah, and Sarah? Yeah, so there's your answer. You don't have sex with friends. There's no emotional baggage, no sexual tension, no disrespect or wishing that the situation was different. Friendship, like I always say, is neutral. And this isn't. Because look, girl, he doesn't want to be friends. He wants to have his cake, his ex, who probably isn't even his ex, right? You know, and eat it too. You. It's the oldest story in the book. It is the oldest fucking story in the book. He's just a dick who wants so much attention. Who knows how divorced he actually is? He may be playing his wife or have another girlfriend or two on the hook somewhere. And what do you get out of this? He's nice to talk to. So are parrots. The bottom line is that he's preying on your empathy and your emotion for him, and he's weaponizing those traits against you. He's manipulating you. He's gaslighting you. Wait, is this a friendship, you think? He says so, but it feels icky and disrespectful and fraught, and it's distracting me from meeting other guys, but he says he's my friend. Exactly. He says it. You don't feel it. You feel the truth about the situation. Your gut has picked up on what's actually going on, not the bullshit story he's trying to tell you, right? If you had a gut feeling about this that was in line with what he was telling you, you wouldn't be submitting questions to me. So no, don't be his friend. He doesn't deserve your friendship. We cannot put such a low price tag on that word. I am a bad-ass friend. Absolutely ride or die. I will help you bury the body. I will cut my own kidney out of my body to give it to you. So when an ex wants to be my friend, (laughs) I mean, I just laugh. It takes so much more to be my friend than to be my boyfriend. Are you kidding me? Like, you can, like, digmatize me with good sex and be like, all right, great, you're my boyfriend. If I'm not having sex with you and I have that neutrality and I have to look at you and be like, wait a minute. What are you bringing to the table, Jake, Matt, whoever? Because usually they're bringing far, far less than my girlfriends are. And I'm sure you're the same way. So let him go. He is going to learn that 100 times out of 100, you are going to push him away. Oh, you can't get away from me that easily. Maybe it means transferring office floors or even looking for a new job. And hey, I know that sucks. But sometimes we got to learn the lesson about dating a coworker the hard way. And because, yeah, it is dumb. And so Catherine has learned this the hard way. God knows I have. So if you're listening to this, hopefully you won't either because the fallout is terrible. We got to keep it moving to people who do deserve both our love and our friendship. This question comes from Haley. She said, I'm in some sort of weird flirtationship with this guy, Cody, I met at horse camp last summer. And I know, I know, horse camp. It sounds kind of weird, but it was actually the best six weeks of my life. Side note from Shallon, horse camp sounds amazing and I want to go. Am I too old? Can I sign up? Anyway, Haley goes on. We had so much chemistry and so much sexual tension at camp and it was like the best time of my life, but we never hooked up. Nothing ever happened because I had a boyfriend back home. But once camp was over and I got back, I broke up with my boyfriend. I mean, for a lot of reasons, it didn't really have anything necessarily to do with Cody, but maybe they did. I can't really tell. If I'm being objective, Cody's not hot. He's definitely camp hot. He's like a hard five in the real world. And my boyfriend was like an eight in a lot of different categories. But still, I just didn't feel that connection. And I thought it was important for us to kind of like let things go. But now 
I am stone cold obsessed with Cody. And like I said, he's not that hot. And when we chit chat on Instagram and stuff, he's pretty boring. I don't get it. Why am I so fixated on him? Does this mean I should get back together with my boyfriend? Does this mean I'm meant to be with Cody? What am I doing? Okay. I understand this. I super understand this. And flirtationship is such an incredible word. I should trademark that. Somebody probably already has. And I think you're being really, really smart about your emotions. Like, yeah, why are you fixated on a dude who's only camp hot like a hard five? I think because it's easier to miss a person than an experience. A person, we can call, we can text, we can stalk, we can visit, you know, we can get them back in some way. But an experience... I mean, it feels gone forever. And you know what that echoes? Death. And humans don't process death very well at all. Anything that reminds us of death, I mean, forget it, forget it. We just shut down or we compartmentalize it or we transfer that onto something or someone who feels not death-like. As in a boy who we can get back and fixate on. He's kind of like an existential fidget spinner. It's natural to localize your nostalgia and feelings for that program onto a person because I do think that's what you miss is the program. We know how to feel about a guy. You know, we have the playlist, we have the text to friends, blah, blah, blah. We have like this sort of trajectory and it's, it's almost, I mean, it's not fun, but there's something sort of like morbidly indulgent when we're heartbroken, something emo about it. Like that's why the emo movement, and I was huge into that, was so satisfying because it let us revel in our sadness. And so we know how to do that with guys. But to miss an experience, that feels a lot bigger. And for me, my own personal horse camp like you had was studying abroad in Rome. It changed me and I miss it. I mean, constantly. And it I grieved that experience for, I mean, years. It was huge. Partly because I went back to like a small country town and it was the opposite of like cosmopolitan Italy, but that's a whole other story. But I realized that it's precious to me precisely because it was fleeting. The mortality, endless things, they have no value. Finite experiences are gold. Scarcity is value. So when you feel yourself getting twisted about Cody, view him as sort of like a blow-up doll with cowboy camp written on it a proxy for that experience. And then think of that happy time and tell yourself the truth that most of the feelings you had there, because really experiences just boil down to feelings, you know, they're a collection of feelings. Most of those feelings you had there, you can and you will replicate in other areas of your life sooner rather than later. So think about it. Like, how did you feel there? Did you feel autonomous? Okay. How can you replicate autonomy in your life? Did you feel curious? Did you feel focused? Did you feel competitive? Did you feel knowledgeable? How can you get those feelings in your life now without the horse camp and without the Cody? I guarantee you it's possible. And experiences like camp, there's a reason they're not two years long. There's a reason they're a week or six weeks or two weeks or three, three, whatever it is, is because they're meant to give you a taste And the people who organize them, they know this. That's the whole point. It's like drug dealers who give you just a taste, but that's a bad example because they're not like drugs are better. (laughs) But they're meant to give you a glimpse into who you want to be or a lifestyle you want or a collection of feelings that you want to incorporate into your life. They're not supposed to give you your true love, right? I mean, sometimes it happens, but I don't think that that's really where you're going with this because like I said, you seem really aware that this dude is a five and not ultimately what you want. So try to make plans to do just that. Look for ways to incorporate those feelings. 
It will not only give you a sense of control over your life and therefore death, and that death-like dread that comes with nostalgia, but it will help untangle the knots about this prospective hurt locker. Because girl, if you're gonna have a hurt locker, he ain't gonna be a five. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.